Hello everyone, my name is Cynthia Luna Frost. I'm the founder and lead vocalist of the Swedish metal band Snow IU and the founder of the local festival Snowfest in my hometown. And I bid you welcome to Misery Point Radio. Misery Point Radio, thanks for tagging along with me once again on this amazing quest for podcast glory. And it really has been truly amazing. I'm honored to announce that this crazy show of ours, of mine, of yours, has now led us to many far off lands. That's right. Misery Point Radio is now being heard in over 40 countries because of all of you. I really just can't thank you enough. And adding to the awesomeness is the fact that today, September 30th, marks the one-year anniversary of the launch of Misery Point Radio, an entire year that I've been polluting your ear holes and corrupting your souls as I drag you on this epic journey to parts unknown. And speaking of epic journeys, today's guest, Cynthia Luna Frost, has also been on a journey. Many journeys. Journeys of both professional and personal self-discovery, journeys that have ultimately led to the conceptualization and formation of her band Snow IU, the creation of an entire fictional world where endless possibilities lie, the formation of a hometown music festival, and her re-emergence into the world with a new identity and a reinforced determination to be the catalyst and be the change. So I'm excited to bring you something just a little different today because I love a personal story. I'm all about that journey and I'm honored to have been a part of this one. So please, keep an open mind and hang out for the next hour as we dive deeper than we ever have before on this show. Are you ready? Here we go. So please welcome all the way from Sweden, lead vocalist and founding member of Snow IU, Cynthia Luna Frost. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah. Super and, stoked. Uh, yeah, really stoked, actually. And a shout out to uh, Chris Heap from Heaps of Metal f- over in the UK for doing some pretty badass things and helping the metal community. And in fact, making it so that you and I initially got a chance to talk to each other. So uh, that's how this whole thing even came to be from that group. So thanks, Chris. Yeah, a big thank you, Chris. Really. Cool. Your, uh, your con- contribution to the metal scene is invaluable, really. Absolutely. So I found myself uh, pretty captivated by your bio originally, and I have so many questions, and I know that we can't possibly get into them all, but I'm going <laughs> to try to work in as many as I can. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about your band and, of course, spend some time talking about you and uh, all, the, all the crazy stuff that goes on in the world. So I guess first, though, we'll start off with uh, what part of Sweden are you in exactly? I'm in the southern part of Sweden in the county called Skåne, which is the closest part to Denmark, really. Okay. So if you just take the train, I live five minutes away from the train station. If you just take the train from here, it's about one hour, one and a half hours to go to Copenhagen, pretty much. Oh, okay, cool. And how far is that away from, say, Stockholm? Oh, about four hours to 
maximum of five hours with train, really. A long, the long trip there. is really the best way to get there, in my opinion, since it's quicker and you go more as the crowd flies than you go on the road, you know? Oh, sure, yeah. I guess I don't know my Sweden geography very well. Uh, the, reason <laughs> I, <laughs> the reason I ask about Stockholm is, of course, for years, uh, it has been kind of the hub of the metal scene in not just Sweden, but kind of Scandinavia in general, going back to the Thomas Skogsberg days with uh, Entombed and Nihilist and Dark Throne and some of those really heavy bands. Were you all familiar with those uh, in your in your days of starting out with music? I heard of all of these bands, and I think I've heard a couple of songs of all of them, but um, I'm not really into the more extreme metal genres. I There are some of them that I really like, like bands like Arch Enemy, for example, Children yeah. of Bodom. Hell, even some Cannibal Corpse, if I'm really in the mood for some <laughs> real brutal death metal, you know. But nice. I keep to uh, I keep to the softer metal genres, if you wish. Sure. <laughs> and if you you know. Well, yeah. So and- I've heard of all these bands, and I've actually um, worked with people who've been promoting gigs and stuff that we've been doing with Snow IU, who've been working with uh, Candlemass and Tomb and all of these people. So. Oh, awesome. Well, uh, you know, clearly your brand of metal took a different path um for me i guess when i listen to your music the first thing that uh, that jumps into my head is i'm very nostalgic when i listen to it it kind of reminds me of like really old school iron maiden really old school dio it's got that kind of similar guitar sound and kind of just the really just in your face kind of uh, chord structure that I, I really liked and that was the first thing i listened to it's very melodic it's got that crunch in the background but definitely harkens to the old days was that kind of what you were going for when you set this up well, when I set up the band in 2008, my, and really from an early age, Iron Maiden has been the main band that has been my go-to band for inspiration, and that really got me started, you know? Bruce Dickinson is one of my biggest idols in the world. Oh, nice. So, yeah, Iron Maiden definitely um, was We've never, actually, in Snow U, we've never actually had the intention of playing an Iron Maiden cover simply because of the reason that I feel that you can't do an Iron Maiden cover because it's not going to do the original song justice. Sure. But, yeah, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Saxon, I mean, all these Saxon. British metal bands, really, um, were the, like, staple of my youth when it came to the metal genre overall. And then it's gone even more into, like, Finnish metal, German metal, power metal, and symphonic metal, you know? Right. But... From the start, it was set out to be like a heavy metal slash melodic metal project. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, just coincidentally, as I was reading in your stuff, speaking of Iron Maiden, you have some kind of a professional connection with Paul Diano? Professional connection and professional connection, really. Um, there's this uh, local promoter that has now since stopped doing um, promotions and gigs and everything, but he used to do a festival called Doom Over Skinny in my hometown, which was a doom metal festival. And the same venue that he was working with for this festival actually invited over Paul Diano when he was visiting Sweden for a gig. So I got to be Paul Diano's like main go-to person when it came to just being around him and making sure that he had a good time, being his chef for the whole evening, talking with him, sitting backstage with him, and just making him have a good time at the venue, pretty much. Yeah, you were kind of like his fixer. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, pretty much. And... <laughs> A jack of all trades for him, pretty much. <laughs> That's cool. So um, you formed Snow IU in the winter of 2008. Uh, that would have made you quite young. Uh, 13, 14, something in there? 12 years old. 12 years old. That's crazy. And 
Snow IU, what exactly is the meaning of the band name and what is the IU? Oh, Lord, we always get this question in every interview. I know you do, yep. (laughs) Um, Snow pretty much comes and boils down to a lot of factors, pretty much. But it boils down mainly to my passion for the winter. I'm a winter person. I love the winter. like the snow covering the the ground and everything, sitting indoors, cozy, just looking out, being inspired, even going. I remember when I was a kid, I was up in... um, skiing and stuff you know and uh, i remember just being awed by all all this majestic beauty that was in front of me and also the whole concept of snowflakes like something extremely tiny that you can only see through a microscope can hold so much beauty yet it can be gone in just a second without anyone noticing you know it's something that we take for granted but it's always there even though it's easily destroyed so it was kind of a metaphor for life itself as well. It was It's easy to get into, and it's just as easy to get rid of. <laughs> you want right. to be a little bit morbid, you know? Sure. And the, um, the area that you're in is kind of known for that wintry look, that wintry feel. Yeah, like the last couple of years, we've not had a lot of it because of the climate change, the whole climate discussion that I don't want to get into because it's really not my territory. Sure. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Scandinavia overall is known for its long winters and its beautiful landscapes, winter landscapes mainly, and all the pine trees and everything. So, yeah. Cool. Well, it seems to me, as I am kind of just now getting introduced to your band and really reading into your concepts, there was a long time between the development or the conceptualization of the band to where it actually kind of started taking a physical manifestation. So 2008, and from what I can gather, it was really around 2014 where things started actually happening. So what was going on in that time frame? In the time frame of 2008, I started writing the concept for the band, which we still follow to this day. Praise whatever deity you want to praise for <laughs> that one. Right. Um, but in 2009, I started writing the concept of the Kingdom of Atria, which is the whole concept for that the band bases around the songs around and everything. Okay. And um, I went through, I don't know how many lineups this band has gone through through the years, honestly. Yeah. It's only been like, from the start, it was more of a school project with Snow U. We went under another name and everything. And that lineup switched out as soon as I quit grade school and was done with that. Then we got a new lineup, another lineup, and another lineup. I think I've gone through 20 plus members in my year. So oh my gosh. Band. And... Uh, in 2014, I got in contact with a, a woman who wanted to start another band because I thought like, okay, well, I'm not getting anywhere with this band. I'll go and join another band, you know. And incidentally enough, Daniel, who was the lead guitarist of the band from 2014, pretty much till 2000, yeah, 2019 actually, um, he was also there wanting to join the band. So he and I struck up a relationship, and we decided to, okay, we'll make Snow IU a solo project with an acoustic duo. Oh. And um, eventually it grew even more and more, and I met Philip on uh, college, music college that we went to. He's, he went to the years after me, or one year after me. I can't even remember how old my band members are. That's, <laughs> that's, that's bad. <laughs> no offense, but yeah. Um, so Philip came into the picture around the fall of 2014 i would say and in the same vein we got a rehearsal space 
with our partner Studio for a Minute, which is an organization in Sweden that helps younger bands develop and even bigger bands. They put on like bands that would play for Sweden Rock Festival and everything, you know. Oh, cool. So, um, Studio for a Minute and we had a relationship and a partnership at that point. And from there, it just developed. We started writing new songs. We started playing more covers and stuff to develop as a musician and find our own sound. And in January of 2015, we had our very first gig. Oh, awesome. And so do you get everybody involved in the writing and the conceptualization of the band? Or is this kind of driven by you and they just are there as kind of a support for what your big vision is yourself? I would say that the conceptualization and um, the idea of the band mainly is just more or less me. That's why I write the lyrics and everything. Also partially because I am the one that speaks the best English in the band. Okay. <laughs> um, I speak it more or less fluently, as you might hear. Yeah, um, absolutely. But in the, just the songwriting process, everyone is a part of it because... I'm not a great songwriter per se. I'm putting sell myself short. I can write songs if I really put my mind to it, but I'm I'm better off with writing with others and I also want it to be a democratic band where everyone gets to take part. Absolutely. So that's pretty much how the, the songwriting is. And then again, I mean, these days people think it's a solo project with me and having backup musicians, that's not how Snow IU is, even though it might be seen as such. Sure. Mainly because I'm the you know, the face outwards, so to say. But yeah. lead vocalist. <laughs> so when you have uh, an idea for a song, is it presented in lyric form first and then brought to the band for music to be put to the lyrics? Or do you start with the musical background and tailor the story and the lyrics to how the music makes you feel? Oh, that's a tough one. That all depends on the song, really. Um, oh, God, how am I going to... Take Pirates Night, for example, the song that we recorded in 2018 for the Lost in the Forest EP. I was sitting at home, and I had no intention of writing a song about pirates. Okay. <laughs> I was sitting at home, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I want to write a song about the oceans. I've been wanting to write that song for five years now. And I sat down, and I started listening to Running Wild of all things, like Pirate Metal Extreme, Pioneers for the Pirate Metal. Oh, uh, Running Wild uh, Maiden? Yeah, no, Running Wild, the band. Oh, okay, the band Running Wild, gotcha. Um, and I was listening to, I think I had the same song on repeat for six hours, honestly, just because when I find a song that I really like, I listen to it until it's gone, and it, the effect's just lost on me, Yeah, and I get tired of it. But I thought to myself, hell, pirates, that would be cool, wouldn't it? So I started eyeballing in my head and making up a story and storyboarding it down, like taking inspirations from movies like Master and Commander, which is one of the greatest movies in all, of all time, in my opinion, still. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, and also from all the pirate documentaries that I've been watching. So after storyboarding it, I put it to lyrics, and I got it to the band, and we put the music to it. I still had a melody in my head that I wanted to get in there, but they really nailed down the formula and the structure of the song. When I write songs also, uh, I usually put a structure like, here I want an intro and bridge, a verse, and all that stuff on paper before I even take it to the band. Because then I know, okay, this is the framework we have to work with. Sure. That's a pretty complicated process, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a collaborative process with the band and with myself as well, you know. Because as the concept creator of the whole story and everything, 
it pretty much boils down to me to find out what is a good story, what can set the mood, and what can bring out the emotion that I want this song to have. And then afterwards, I have to bring it to the band, more or less, if I don't know myself what to go with, you know? Sure. So would you consider Snow IU to be a true concept band? It sounds like you've done a lot of writing. You've created this world. You've got this overarching theme, although the songs themselves don't really seem like they're connected to each other, which leads me to believe that the band is conceptual, but the songs themselves aren't necessarily tied to the overall concept of the band specifically. Am I on the right track there? Partly. I would say that both the band and the songs are concept-driven from the concept, really. It's just that the songs are out of order now since we've only been recording certain songs and not certain songs, you know? So they're pretty much all over the place. There are some songs that are in the ending of the concept and some are in the beginning. And there's one in the middle and in between there you got to fill it out with more Okay. songs you know that's why it sounds disconnected when you play them together but it's supposed to be a whole bigger concept you know and writing a lot no not really <laughs> it, it started out in 2009 and that was a form of escapism in my opinion from a childhood of very hard bullying and stuff in school where I needed to just escape into my own world so I tailored this world to more or less fit a stereotype which I wanted to you know have and I, I drown myself in it eventually. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I have that literally almost word for word as a question I was going to ask you in a few minutes. So we'll kind of come back to that in a second. But all right, let's kind of delve into what exactly is the concept for Snow IU. Tell me about this land you've created. Tell me about how you formed the band concept around this creation of yours. Well, it, as said, the concept bases itself in what I call the fabled land of Atre. You know, it's a long forgotten kingdom that was once very prosperous, had a very good run, so to say, if you want to be very informal about it. And eventually its pride and its glory days just fell into um, forgetfulness and people forgot about that the whole land existed. And so it was struck from all the record books, all of the maps and everything were lost. And the concept itself is more or less a kind of recollection. The one surviving tome that had this history has finally been found. And so that's what Snow IU does. We tell the story of this land awesome. following the main protagonist called the Lone Wolf, which is one of the songs we've been recording. And his journey from pretty much a nobody to whatever it'll end up to. I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> so the, the, the band is telling the story with its songs of what happened with this fabled land and what's it's on track to happen to it in the future, as apparently the concept would be for the listener to become immersed in this and kind of find their own place in that land as they're listening to these stories. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, people usually tell me or have told me even in the past and still tell me to this day that I'm a storyteller when I'm doing my performance live and while I'm playing my songs on radio or anything, you know. And that's a title I wear proudly because when I set out to do the band, I wanted to tell stories with song. I'm a storyteller. I can come up with concept for anything pretty much on the top of my head if I really wanted to. But... 
to really get something that I could finally build from the ground up and focus on, that was like a big goal of mine in my life because I've always had a hard time putting things to paper. I can have it in my head, but writing it on paper, no way. Sure. So it's a personal development as well in the whole concept, and that's what really brings it together for me. Well, you've got quite a bit of cool ideas floating around in that noggin of yours. You've been able to kind of (laughs) put this into practice now. You're out there, you're playing shows, you've got two EPs recorded. Let's talk about those EPs for a minute. So the first one you did, Tales of Utopia, was from around 2015, correct? Yeah, correct. And then Lost in the Forest, 2018, which also has that physical media only 12-minute epic song of awesomeness that uh, <laughs> yeah. now I guess I'm just going to have to pony up and buy it because now I want to hear it. Uh, so tell me about the recording of those two EPs and what was different about the process between the two. Well, Tales from Utopia was a demo project that we recorded in a venue, actually. It's re- live recorded in a venue oh. that we played in... Um, I think we played her in like June of 2015 or July, somewhere around there. And uh, we were looking for a studio that, since we were still a very young band at the point, we're still a very young band, even to this day, in my opinion. But something that was not way off budget for us that we still could afford and still could work with. We decided to do it in a live venue with their sound engineer on on the spot, you know, and... Since we didn't have a bassist at that point that was like a proper member, because the, in 2015, the whole project started off with just me, Daniel, and Philip. So guitars, drums, and vocals, pretty much. Okay. And we got a lot of feedback while playing live. You guys are amazing, you know, but you're lacking some bass, you know? <laughs> yeah, we know. Thank you. But we still wanted to put on a show, you know, because we wanted to show that we were dedicated to the project. Sure. So we brought in a... Um, college friend of mine called Gabriel Reimer that is no longer in the band. He's moved and is now, um, I don't know what he's doing these days. I should connect with him. (laughs) Shout out to Gabriel. Hey, Um, Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and while we were there, we were also testing out because this was the first time we were in a proper studio as well, most of us. We've been doing some minor work in the college studio where where, uh, I went to college because they had a studio we could work in. But this was with a proper sound interior and everything. So... Is not by any means, uh, um, I shouldn't say not a good recording because it's a good demo, but it's a demo. It's a, a demo, demo, is a demo. Yeah. And um, even some of the lyrics on there really, I wrote some parts to Inner Fury on the spot five minutes before I was heading into the booth to record the vocals <laughs> for it. And it still sounds good to this day. I still keep that line, you know, so. Yeah. Even the, even though the stress of recording it should have kicked up an option, I shouldn't be able to even write down a word. I still jotted down ideas. I also came up with the title for the for the album itself while in the recording studio. Oh, crazy! Kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, the songs on that album we sadly don't play. Well, we play Inner Fury from that album, but the rest of the songs we haven't played since. Oh Lord, early 2018, I would say, simply because. We think those are demo songs. It's a good showcase of what used to be and how we can develop from there, so to say. Okay. They don't necessarily fit in with the overall concept anymore, though. Well, they kind of fit in with the overall concept. I wouldn't say they don't. It's just that they're still demo songs. They're One of the songs initially, Glacial Forkers, had four verses in a row, for example. Just oh, because. okay. Got it, yeah. Well, so you've, you've progressed we should... as artists now, so... 
Yeah, and we've progressed as songwriters. We've developed as human beings overall, you know. So we really hit the nail on the head with the development process, in my opinion, when it came to Lost in the Forest, which was recorded three years later. And Lost in the Forest, we recorded that down in Staffensdorp in a studio called Sonart, which is a minor filial to uh, Peplum Productions with a guy called Jonathan. So shout out to Jonathan for being the best sound engineer in the world. Nice. Um, and we were down there. That album was actually recorded in two days only. Oh. And I think Chainsaw from Utopia was three days or even two days there as well. So we're pretty efficient when we're really putting our minds to it. Yeah, that's awesome. And despite having problems with both, both the bass where we had to record the whole bass lines for every single song the second day for Lost in the Forest. And there's some problems with the guitar tracking as well. We managed to do it. I mean, we even managed to get down some choir, in my, which is a nice touch, in my opinion, because that was spontaneous on the spot. We took one hour after we were done. You know, it would be really cool to have a real good choir in the end of Inner Fury. Okay, let's add it. And we documented the whole thing and um, put it on a camera, which was later stolen during a live gig. So that's kind of sad. <laughs> oh, I can't man. access those files anymore. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Lost in the Forest was a really good test as well because it really... I put a um, proposition to the band where I said, okay, we have two days. You have about five hours per instrument to put down your stuff. And it was a good test to see if we were really up to... Up to snuff, really, for live shows, playing with a metronome and everything, and also to see if we had actually developed, because if we hadn't developed at that point, why even continue, you know? Right. Well, that album, those EPs, clearly were a awesome stepping stone to showcase your stuff, and you got a lot of shows out of it, and of course, you became affiliated with Imperative Metal, and were featured on some compilations with some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, I, I think I, I heard uh, Death, Cradle of Filth, Venom. So that's pretty awesome. How did that come to be? That I can't remember how it came to be, really. I think it was we received an email from the Imperative Music where they just said, we listened to your stuff and we would want you to participate on our next compilation album. And we were like, okay, we got to record a song that is not from the demo because those songs are out of, uh, out of date now. Okay, let's go down to the re rehearsal, find out which song works best and record it. And uh, we had eight hours recording that song. Yeah. Which is why the quality isn't the very best on the volume 13, which is the first volume where Venom also participated. Right. And in 2015, I reached out to Imperative Music, told them, hey, we're releasing a new album in May 2018. Would you like to have us on the next compilation album? Yeah, sure thing. We could have we could have you on the next compilation album. We want to hear the song first, though, so we can see that you've evolved as a band. Sure. So we sent them Pirates Night, and they immediately said, "Wow, yeah, this is this is quality in comparison to what the last one was." Considering we've also had more time in the studio for this song, but <laughs> and ironically, considering that you never actually set out to write a pirate song, right? Yeah. <laughs> good awesome. point. Good point. <laughs> so, but you've you've cultivated a relationship with them that has now got you on what three or four of those compilations? Only two of them so far. Two actually. of them. Okay. 
volume 13 and volume 15. And volume 15 was with Hammerfall, Death, Cradle of Filth, and Destruction. Oh, Hammerfall, yeah, I forgot about that. That's awesome. And moving on from there, now you've created your own music festival, which is super badass, called Snowfest. Is this a, <laughs> is this a pet project of yours? This has been bouncing around in your head for quite some time before it came to fruition? Well, Snowfest started out as a um, it started out as a project to promote the local music scene in my hometown. Since I knew that we once had a big festival around here that called, was called Siesta, okay, which was a two or three day festival. I can't even remember; it's been so long that had to go bankrupt because of reasons, simply because of the festival death that has been going on the last few years and everything. Especially in Sweden, that has been very apparent. You know, festivals have been dying left and right. It's oh. horrible. Um, so Snowfest is my response to pretty much the whole plague of death on the festivals in, in Sweden. So I thought in 2016, wouldn't it be good to have a festival showcasing the local talent? Just in this area, in my communal county and everything. And I brought the idea to Studio for a minute and to the venue, Marken, where we also have our rehearsal. And they were like, yeah, this would be super cool. Let's do it. So we put together four bands on the bill and um, I did all the promo work, all the management work and everything. So I'm the general of the festival, technically, just that I have some partners to work with. Sure. And in 2016, we had two editions. The first edition was in May and the second was in November. 2017, we didn't have any editions simply because there wasn't a lot of interest in the local music scene at all. We've already used up most of the bands and the crowd didn't just come on the second one. So we postponed it one year until 2018, where I revived it in conjunction with the 10-year anniversary of the band, the release of Lost in the Forest, and a new boost for the band, where we had also a lot of festival dates on the bill for the whole tour. So that was pretty much the start for a a kind of rebirth of Snow IU, I would say. Oh, awesome. And so the festival something you plan on keeping going for a long time as long as i find it's that it's something that could get people out to the local music scene yeah have you found have you found that the scene has grown enough to to support it more this time around from where you're at i would say yes because when we had the festival in 2018 we had over 130 visitors which is big for that venue we usually can pack like 50 at a good day most of the time because this town is is so dependent on weather and if people are lazy enough. <laughs> people are de- pe- that's what I don't like about today's music industry and society because everything is on demand. It's not live anymore really. Everyone wants everything to be in the comfort of their own home, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm trying to change that up with the festival. So 2018, a really good year for the festival. 2019, a little bit less of people came out, but the people who were there were more interested in the music than the previous year. Awesome. So I would say that the scene is growing and Snowfest has now become a staple name that I think people are expecting to be out every single year to come, you know? And if I don't think it's interesting enough, I will pass it on to whoever wants to carry the legacy of Snowfest, as long as they know that I was there to, you know, help the local music scene. Because I'm I really like the music scene that is local. I like the underground scene. I'm huge in underground bands and stuff. Yeah. And Snowfest isn't also limited to metal. That's something that I should really drive home the point about. Oh, yeah, please. 
So what? I'm, it's all kinds of music then. It's a rock festival. I usually nail it down to rock, but doesn't mean I can't put like one band on the bill that is so different and out there that it's no not even close. You know, <laughs> the first year I had an indie rock band that broke the formula. Second time I had a pop rock band. Third year I had another indie rock band, and this year I went with a punk band. Oh, cool! That broke the formula. So I've always had something that really breaks the formula somewhere in the middle, just so people can see, oh, things are happening, because then the interest will start growing again. You know? Do you find yourself getting interest from bands from maybe outside your immediate area? Yeah, I've got this year. I've actually gotten interest from. Oh, Lord, I've gotten from a reggae group, a troop of 10 people, I think that was. I've gotten a request from a rapper from Stockholm, actually. I've gotten a request from a band that is, what is it, nine hours away? Oh. So it's pretty much, you know, since people know about me, they know about the festival, they know about the band. So it all ties together, which is super nice. I really like it. I just wish I could take everyone in, you know. (laughs) Sure. But sadly, I can only take in six bandits at a time, and I also need to work with the budget that I have, you know. So I can't pay traveling expenses for a band that comes from, let's say, I don't know, uh, the UK? Yeah. Yeah, that would Not be... Not yet, anyway. I'm hoping one day that I'll get to that point. Sure. That would be super awesome. So, uh, sounds like... Snow IU is gaining lots of traction. Big things are happening. Snowfest seems awesome. And then it sounds like some big things have happened for you personally as well over this last year. Am I correct? Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So if it's okay with you, um, I would like to ask you about kind of what sets you apart from the average band leader. So in the initial intro that you sent to me, you mentioned that you're transgender and that one of the things that you can do is utilize a wide vocal range to portray both the male and female characters in your singing. And to me, that's super intriguing. It's an amazing concept. Although listening to the albums, I hadn't really heard that. But then I read in a post that you kind of just came out with this back in, I think it was February or something. So the band had started, the concept was there, the songs were recorded, and then the big announcements kind of came down the road. So uh, kind of there was a, kind of an 11-year period where you're just on this very personal journey. Are, are you are okay talking about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I know at a very, knew at a very early age. I went through this in a video log I made as well when coming out that is on my profile for those who want to watch it. Oh, I'm cool. To, you know, I posted that one to pretty much get as many people on board as possible so they could understand. Sure. Um, But yeah, I knew from a very early age that something wasn't right and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin pretty much. That's what it boiled down to in short terms. And I tried to come out when I was 11 years old initially, but the Swedish healthcare system thought that an 11-year-old doesn't know what they want to do with their life. Right. It's the same here in the States. Yeah. So therefore, I didn't... I had a chance to transition and start the process when I was that young, even though I really wanted to. So I went into, quote-unquote, hiding, as some people call it. Okay. And until February this year, as you said, I started coming out to some friends in early 2018. I actually met a couple of people online via Facebook, funnily enough. 
right. that I told about it while I was at Sweden Rock Festival of all places. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in August slash September of the same year, I went over to these states to meet up with them. And that was the, my first real life experience where I got to live as myself. As oh, cool. And when I came home, it kind of dawned on me, yeah, what, what have I been doing all these years, you know? So I finally mustered up the courage and I built up until the point in February where I told the world that I was transgender. Okay. I assume the band already knew, though. The band didn't know until pretty much a couple of days earlier, actually. Oh, wow. Hmm. Uh, I I told the band maybe a week before I come out publicly simply because it was such a big momentous step for me because... I've been worried the whole time in my music career about losing the band, you know, sure. because music is my passion. I can't think of a world where I cannot practice music. Oh, and therefore, yeah. as the saying goes, you have to practice music. Um, so I was very cautious about that because I thought if I tell them and they don't like it, they're going to quit. And how am I going to find new people to fill these shoes, you know, these big shoes that need filling? Sure. Also, I didn't want to lose my personal relationship with the band members also because they're good friends of mine even outside of the band. We had a lot of good times together. Yeah. But they took it very well. And as you said, the songs were recorded and everything was set in stone pretty much. Therefore, you won't hear the portrayal of both kind of unique parts of my voice in the songs simply because I was still in hiding technically. Sure. It, yeah, um, and that that was kind of that was kind of how I how I perceived it. And so, how did you identify previously? I mean, were you Cynthia when you formed the band? Did you go by something else? No, I went uh, with my old name when I formed a band. I went with Oliver, which is my birth name. Okay. And um, since then, I went with the name until I came out publicly. And just one month after that, my name change went through in Sweden. So. Then I was like, okay, wonderful, perfect. It was the greatest moment of my life. I was screaming out loud when I saw the letter. And the same day I went to the dentist and the dentist said Cynthia. And I was like, oh, damn, that's me. Okay, You're like, that's yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That is and they awesome. Were like, and they were sitting, they were standing there like, oh, what, what kind of person are you anyway? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Looking at me funny and all that kind of thing, you know, because they didn't expect a woman's name on a male, so to say, because, you know. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so getting back then into kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you kind of created this mystical land and you kind of went on that self-discovery journey, I assume that those two are very closely connected? Yeah, of course. I mean, as said, I had a childhood where I was bullied heavily in school. I was bullied heavily with friends. I had a hard time making new friends at a young age, and I've always had that. I still have that problem to this day in some degree. And uh, it kind of, you know, it came to the point where I really just wanted to escape reality itself. Sure. I buried myself in video games. I buried myself in stories. I buried myself in music. And I created this world from all of these experiences, all of these great things that I've heard from lyrics from Iron Maiden, Dio, Judas Priest, and even playing video games, like fancy-based video games, I, I can't think of any on the top like of my head. Like RPG-style games, though, I would assume. RPG-style games, yeah. yeah. I, I was a big World of Warcraft player back in the day when that was first launched and up until just a couple of years ago. So that shaped my whole world as well. 
So I thought to myself, well, reality isn't working. I'm going to make a place where I am the hero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And is that and, where Cynthia was born? As Was that a character before it was you? Not really, no. Cynthia's okay. never been a part of the concept per se, because I don't write the concept from a personal standpoint. When I write the stories I write, I write them in third person. I'm talking about someone else. I'm only the narrator. So it's, okay. Even though I can try, and I will try in the future, to take on different roles in the whole singing, as I wrote in the letter that I wrote to you, um, because, and you will hear it on Pirate's Night to some degree as well, where the line from heaven, their souls were hurled. And then second voice comes in, were hurled with a very distorted voice. That is like a, a slight try at least to put a pirate into the scene. Sure. So that's two different characters, but with the same voice in a degree, you know. And Pirates Night also in the whole song, it's supposed to be kind of who is who and who talks about what. You can only read through who is who when you read the lyrics or hear the lyrics themselves. Or if you're super familiar with the song and you've heard it so many times now that you can <laughs> you can kind of start to recognize patterns as they come through for sure. So yeah. has has the has the transition affected your writing? I mean, do you find yourself approaching things from a different point of view now? The latest song that we wrote that is going to be the single, actually, is a kind of catharsis when it comes to my songwriting. Because, as I said, I never write in, per in first person about myself and my right. personal experiences. I usually take a metaphor, metaphorical standpoint on it, where I write in third person about someone else. But when I read through my lyrics after writing them, I notice patterns like, oh... Well, this is that part of my life. Okay, that is that part of my life. While writing this new song that is going to be the single that is going to be released in 2020, um, I was sitting down and thinking, yes, what could happen in the concept? And I was writing it. I started noticing, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, the pieces are falling. What? And I couldn't stop writing. I couldn't put my fingers off of the keyboard, you know, because it was like, I need to write this. I need to get this out of my system. <laughs> so when the lyrics were done and everything was on paper, I was sitting there just stunned for 15 minutes. Just what did I just do? Yeah. And I read through it over and over and over again. And eventually it was, wow. Yeah. This, this nails down everything perfectly. Why haven't I done this before? So now when I'm writing, I'm taking a somewhat personal approach in it. At least I'm putting the emotions in there from my own personal standpoint which I didn't do before while I was taking a very more cautious approach. But I'm still trying to write in the third person perspective because the story is, as said, a narrated story. And you're telling a story with different characters. Are you envisioning and hearing, <laughs> hearing voices, but I mean, are you, are you hearing di <laughs> different, uh, you, you know what I'm getting at? Are you hearing different yeah, character know, voices as you're writing these songs now? And are you thinking, can I pull this off? Or how am I going to go about approaching the vocals on these parts with two different genders, if you will? Yeah, I would say I am. I'm more or less trying to incorporate the best of both worlds, technically. That's that's one of the blessings with being transgender, and i got to admit that, that I have both the vocal range of a male, and I can also go up to a female vocal range if I really, really want to, you know? That's a very big thing that... 
I am blessed to have in this whole process that is a blessing in disguise, so to say. But um, yeah, I'm totally trying to figure out how do I pull this off in order to make it sound natural? Because naturality is the mo most important part to me. It's not going to sound forced. It hasn't. It is not allowed to sound like, oh, I just put it in for putting it in sake. you got to have respect for the songs and for the lyrics that you write. Yeah, yeah. It, it can't be forced in there for sure. Now, I also read that you are a scholastically trained vocalist, correct? Yeah, I'm trained in classical music, mainly musicals and stuff. Like Jekyll and Hyde was the big one that I was trained in. I was doing both. Jekyll and Hyde, which is pretty much also where both of these voices yeah, how come. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and then I also did some uh, choir work as well. I did some, um, I can't remember all of these words that I was saying, but I've been also been trained in folk music, traditional Swedish folk music. Okay. English folk music is still a very big inspiration to me. Bard songs and stuff, you know, and um, even folk metal. Folk is a big part of my inspiration source because there that's where the stories are you know yeah absolutely. that's where our legacy and our heritage lies because you usually tell the stories of the past in historical viewpoint as a big history nerd that's <laughs> nice do you find that your training has helped you now when you approach trying to define male vocal patterns versus female vocal patterns definitely no doubt about that i I can say right off the bat that if it wasn't for my classical training, I would still have a very, very uncontrollable vibrato on my voice. <laughs> it would be like, oh, all the time, even though it now I can just nail it down to a straight pinpointed tone. You know? Awesome. So the ability to take on the different personas, I assume is easier to pull off visually via, you know, costume changes and, you know, things like that. Now you're getting ready to do some, some new studio work. You've mentioned that you're writing some new albums and that you're going to be able to feature more of your newfound skills. Uh, are you looking forward to that and kind of taking the band in a different direction? Most certainly. Yeah. Um, we're going to record and enter the studio in November slash December this year. And we're going to be releasing a single next, which I'm stoked about because it's it makes us being able to focus on one song really, really different from what we've done before where we cramped all of these big songs into one big package, you know? Yeah. Um, the band is definitely going to take a different direction with this, uh, this release as well, simply because, well, first of all, we've um, gotten the artwork and I got to say it looks bloody brilliant <laughs> awesome in comparison to what we had in the past i don't tales from utopia was what i designed with zero photoshop skills pretty okay. much and lost in the forest is a hand-drawn painting from a, a local artist but this one is a collaborative work with an artist a model and a photographer who has been really working hard to get the whole image that i had in my head on yeah canvas pretty much which is super amazing i my jaw dropped when I saw it, and the band went like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, Which has to be and, very validating. Yeah, it's super validating, because it means that we're taking another step in the process of building our band and our sound. Which is also a big part that is going to change about the band. Being a heavy metal act in the, in the core, so to say, we're probably going to 
delve deeper and deeper down into the symphonic metal aspect of it all. And um, hopefully one day we'll not become entirely, because I don't like the label, you know, I don't want to put myself in just one folder because that means you're only in that folder. I want to be able to go between them. Which Snow IU has always done with their sound. We've had inspiration from all kinds of sources. I mean, new metal, alternative metal, heavy metal, power metal. But I think we'll we'll fit nicely in with the symphonic slash heavy metal sound in the end, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. And your band members are excited about that. And they're excited, yeah. But I think I'm the most excited because symphonic metal is what I really have a passion about. I like the grand and the big sound, you know, the over the top to a certain degree. <laughs> well, if you were trained in classical, that kind of fits in with that very big, many things happening at one time kind of a vibe. Yeah. And also from a personal standpoint, there are certain bands that I can't even listen to simply because there's this empty void in their songs. You know, when you listen to them, there is an empty void behind all of the instruments. The best example I can probably think of on the top of my head that I always say is The Shortest Straw by Metallica. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that song, there's guitar, there's bass, there's drums, and there's vocals. But then there's silence in the background. Yeah. And I absolutely hate that silence. I want that to be filled with something. Just so that the listener is always, like, not on the on the top of their game, but that they're always having something to, oh, what's that? Oh, I got to listen to that. That's interesting. So you always have something going on, you know, so it doesn't kill the sound entirely. Yeah. I think that also boils down to my like my um, previous encounters with live performances where all of a sudden the sound is cut from an instrument. Okay, that's a downer. All <laughs> <laughs> right. So new album in the works for 2020. You're currently recording. Do you have us or are you currently recording? No, we're recording in November slash December. Oh, okay. And do you have a studio picked out already? We have a studio picked up up in Stockholm that we're going to work with and... Um, that's about five hours away with cars, so that's going to be an interesting trip. It's going to be a little bit of a road trip for the band. Sure, yeah. Uh, and I assume you're just going to kind of stay up there and power through it for a weekend and try and cram it all in at one shot, or is this a multiple trip halfway across the country kind of a thing? <laughs> no, we're going to do it over a weekend where we're, yeah. we're going to sit down for eight to 12 hours, I suppose. I don't even know how long it's going to take, really, to do the whole thing, but we're going to sit there and we're going to cram through it, you know, as you said, and power through all of this work that is with this single because if we want to make a production that is worthwhile to our listeners and our fans god bless them all really or whatever wooden fetish or whatever you want (laughs) to worship in the comfort of your own home you know i'm not judging um we wanted the best and therefore we're willing to make monetary sacrifices but also sacrifices on our own not sanity necessarily, because that sounds kind of off, but you know what I mean. Well, no, you're probably on the right track. I've done my share of studio work, and that will definitely test <laughs> the levels of your sanity. Yeah, but we figured that if we're going to make this, like, big, grand, and we're going to take the band in a whole new direction, not a whole new, but a new direction, we really got to put in the legwork to get there. We can't just cut corners here and there just because, oh, well, com- more comfortable recording at home. Yeah. Let's do that. No. Sure. Or is this so we're about to also put in people from the States, actually, who will be working with us on this album for the orchestral parts, as well as the mixing. So that's going to be a new experience as well, because we've only worked with in-house 
uh, sound engineers and technicians in the past. Oh, that's awesome. And is all the material that you're working on, is this all new or are you revisiting older stuff that just never quite made it onto the other EPs and now you've reworked them to bring them back again? Hmm. I think the base ideas can be made to work somehow. The song that we're going to record now is actually a figment of a song that was written in 2014. Okay. That had a, a different working title and a whole different concept. But um, we didn't play that song live more than once because I didn't manage to figure out a lyric that would fit it, thankfully, <laughs> I would say. And also that it didn't really work with the time that we were in. It was too complex of a song for us to be working on at that point in our career. But now we brought it back. So that's that's how I usually work. I I mean, when I was younger, I could write down hundreds of titles on songs. I'm a good title creator, really. Sure. And I could figure out, okay, which title one do I want to work on? That one looks good. Okay, I'll work on this one. And then I'll figure out, no, that doesn't work. Okay, scrap that, go to the next. And then I can come back to them like, hey, that was actually a catchy hook on that song. Where can I put that in a new one? And I try to work different things into it. I mean, the 12-minute epic was a very time-consuming work to create Yeah, because I took inspiration from all of our past songs and I tried to figure out, okay, what sounded good there that I can use now. Is this going to be a full-length album? The new release is just going to be a single. Okay, so so the plan right now is going to be just to do a single and then is there an album conceptually in the works as well? It's in the works. It's just that we haven't had the time to sit down and properly work with it because we've been out touring a lot with the band. We're a live act. I think during these past three years, we've been out 100 plus times on gigs. Yeah. And, and it that's looks just like in Sovereign Sweden alone. And next year is going to be even bigger, you know? With the UK tour, correct? Correct. We're actually currently planning our UK tour in 2020 together with a promoter and a tour manager that has hopped on board that we're super stoked about. Yeah. And so that is not necessarily in support just of your new single that's coming out. This was kind of already in the works before that was even planned. Hmm. I would say it was partly in the works. I've always wanted to visit a UK on a business trip. Sure. Right. <laughs> Uh, my big dream when I was a kid was moving to the UK, actually, because of all the great music that was there and everything. Yeah, for and sure. I still think London is the best city in the world to visit, simply because the whole atmosphere, the history that the city has, you know, has really inspired me a lot. Like, Yak the Ripper, if you want to go with mass murderers and stuff. Yeah, you know, something killers. family-friendly. Yeah, something, your average <laughs> family-friendly serial killer, you know? <laughs> And then, you know, the whole story of England itself with King Arthur, the Crusades and all that stuff. I'm a history buff, so that's natural to me. I think there's and, a lot of, there is a lot of history in the UK. And as somebody such as yourself that, that prides themselves on being a writer and a storyteller, that is just a phenomenal area to be involved in. And speaking of writing, have you thought about past the band, right? But I mean... Thought about doing writing in other media. I mean, you're a gamer, so comic books, video games, films, graphic novels. Have you thought about that kind of stuff? 
funny that you mentioned that I've always had in the mind that this concept when it's actually finished and all set would be a very good video game I yeah. think kind of a Skyrim-y thing not necessarily Skyrim. Now you're talking to a gamer. So. Right, yeah. Well, I ran a game store uh, for 14 years. I would say that Skyrim years. is, you know, very open-ended in that way. I think if I was going to make this, it would be a more linear experience. Okay. But it was. I wouldn't say it was a game either because a game in my world is something that you... A lot of button mashing, a lot of configurations and stuff. Sure. It would be an... What would I call it, pretty much? An entertainment media, an experience. Something okay. that you would want to experience. Because it's a story that is an original story and it's unlike anything else. I've heard of musicians and screenwriters and stuff going into the gaming scene and writing their own stories and making their own games. Right. I think there's a game called Brothers that was released a couple of years ago by a Swedish uh, celebrity, actually, which was a very innovative for its time. Yeah, I've um, actually played that game. It's, it's pretty cool. Kind of an indie art house style game, for sure. Yeah. And... Other medias, sure thing. I would, if I could. Now it comes back to the whole discussion I was talking about with me not having an easy time writing down things on paper by keeping right. it in my head. But you mentioned uh, storyboarding. Storyboarding, yeah. I usually storyboard it all in my head, and then I jot it down on paper, and I write up maps and stuff, and just where on the map would this be located and that located. Um. So yeah, I'm writing a proper novel about it, sure thing, I could do that if I could find someone who could put the words that I want and the ideas I have into writing. Because I know that that is not something that I can do currently. And seeing as I'm also very well-versed in the art of poetry, like reading stuff like The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, The Divine Comedy by Dante and stuff, that would be something that I could very much do you know just writing short stories about it i actually have we did for a show in 2015 the show that gave us our title of the biggest metal band in hasselholm my hometown was actually a show where we had small lyrical poems in written into the set that we played between songs that's awesome so there's there's plenty of things that could come to pass for you in the future once you get where you are uh, wanting to be with the band. So what do you think you're looking forward to the most in this upcoming year? Hmm. I would say the recording is a big thing. Releasing that one will be a very nice thing because it will show off the new sound that Snow U has been gotten into. It will show off how diverse we can be in our music creation process, in our whole being people overall, because also it's going to be the first record and the recorded album slash single where I can finally flourish as a person, as a vocalist, using every aspect of my voice in every fashion I would like it to. Yeah. So that's going to be amazing. Uh, the UK tour is going to be a big one, of course. I mean, first tour abroad, just it's going to be an experience of a lifetime, and I really can't wait to be there already. I wish I was there already. But, um, yeah, a lot of planning goes into it, so we need to fix all these things beforehand. I, I try to always be one step ahead sure. when it comes to that. But the thing I'm looking forward to the most, really, actually, is nailing down the band's image. Yeah. and Because we've already had, like, in the past we've had the stereotypical, as a person who likes the performance part of a, a, a performance, really. 
and a show. I'm building a show around it. We've used props in the past, like flags and stuff. Sure. We still use pirate flags on our shows and everything in order to make it something extra. Um, nailing down the image of the band itself would have been the next natural step, in my opinion, because we've been doing the jeans and T-shirt thing for way too long. <laughs> I mean, every band in the world does that, and every... I won't say, won't say every, but I can't, because there are some exceptions to the rule, but most symphonic metal bands that have a woman in the front are X amount of dudes standing in the back and the woman taking all the, the spotlight, you know, sure. in a big flower dress or something. I'm trying to get out of that concept and bring everyone on board on the whole image idea. So it's not just, oh, there's this center figure. No, everyone is an integral part of the whole performance itself. Everyone is part of the whole concept, if you will. Yeah. And do you have ideas how to make that happen? Yeah, I have ideas of how to make that happen. And I, uh, I think it will all just boil down to, can we do it within the next six months? Yeah. Yeah. Because when we go to the UK, that has got to be nailed down. We can't just stand there like, okay, what are we going to wear while we're in on tour, you know? <laughs> It's going to be two weeks. What are we going to wear for two weeks? Well, uh, I think it's it's more than just, you know, a wardrobe selection, right? It comes down to how do now people identify you visually? What what cues are they going to be given? Is this just a matter of they're changing costumes or is this now the look of the band? So two different things there. Yeah, and I think the look of the band is what's going to, you know, set us apart from the rest. We've got it. I mean, most bands do the whole black and white color black on a stage it can be very two-dimensional yeah because black background even if you have a backdrop i mean a big say for example a green backdrop it can be very two-dimensional still because it's color on color right that's why i always thought to myself okay well let's change that up let's do multicolors if we're going to do it we'll set a color scheme for the band and we're going to do with that and we're going to say okay this is the look we're aiming for. What can we do that is similar to this, but not copyrighted by every other band in the book? What's going to be unique to Snow You? What's going to be the thing that fit people, that come to people's minds immediately when they think, oh, Snow You? Yeah, awesome. Well, you've got some challenges ahead of you for sure, but looks like you've met some challenges head on anyway, so I have no doubt that you'll tackle what's uh, what's coming down the road for you. So what advice do you have for young musicians or older musicians who are facing various kinds of personal challenges, especially in the music business? Hmm. I could do a whole podcast on just this, you know? <laughs> I bet you could, yeah. Um, as someone who not prides themselves, but has at least uh, a good chunk of knowledge about the music business and the music industry themselves, being a musician for 11 years past that, but 11 years with my current band, a festival promoter and general director, as well as just seeing a lot of bands live on big festivals, small festivals, working on festivals, even I worked at Copenhagen and Maraluna last year. Um, my advice would be just being willing to, you know, take risks in your whole musicianship, because if you're not taking the risks, you're not getting anywhere. You gotta, you know, challenge yourself in some way sure you can you can be a bed bedroom musician if you want to if that's what you want to do i don't judge sure thing go ahead be the best bedroom musician there is but 
you can't get anywhere in this world if you don't take a risk. I took a big risk with coming out as transgender. And so far, I've only, I think, online I've received like one DM that said something that wasn't, it wasn't even something that wasn't very nice. It was just pretty much, why are you doing this? Right. Everything else has been positive, you know. So we, I usually say this to everyone I meet that has problems in their life and their personal life. And that is the biggest demons are the demons we conjure up in our own minds. Absolutely. Because if you really put your mind to something and you really aim for something, for example, I aimed when I was a kid that I would be playing big festivals. I'm not stopping until I reach those big festivals. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for the fame or the glory. I'm doing it because I want to inspire others to be their perfect selves and inspire them to use their imagination, something that is really hard in today's society where everything is in your face. Now that you've done that, come out, taken some pretty big career risks and and still just kind of played with the concept of where you're at now, do you find yourself being an advocate for others? Whether or not you want to be? (laughs) (laughs) Define advocate for others, really, because it's a broad term, you know? Sure, yeah, no. What I mean is, do you find yourself that you are going out of your way to vocally be more supportive to others, either in your situation or others that are maybe just facing other challenges, they're afraid to take risks, um, they're afraid to kind of really get other people involved in, in pursuing their dreams? I would say I do it somewhat passively, not passively necessarily. I do it actively, but I don't do it vocally per se. Okay. If someone in my close circles have has a problem and they want to talk about it, sure thing, come to me and we'll talk about it. You know, that's that's the milk of human kindness, really. Sure. But when it comes to being an advocate for others and stuff, sure thing, I can I can see myself doing that in a way because. I am the person I am. I am transgender, and therefore, I immediately, you know, am put in a slot that allows me to somewhat inspire others, even though I'm not actively trying to do so. Sure. And it also can also step on people's toes, which is <laughs> another thing. So it's a double-edged sword on that one. But uh, when I came out and everything, I started pursuing a somewhat amateurish dream of mine that was to become a model. And I started doing that. I posted some model photos in different groups on Facebook and different forums. And some people have come out to me saying that just seeing how, not miserable, but how bad I felt about myself, how low I was putting myself in the eyes of others compared to on these photos, they have gotten their own morale up. Like, oh, wow. If this person can do it, so can I. Why haven't I done that before, you know? Yeah, it is inspiring. Same with, yeah, same with the music. If if I write a song, say this new song is going to be the single, and it comes out, since it's such a big catharsis for me to put these words onto paper, I can barely sing the damn song without <laughs> getting to tears. Um, because it's so close to me, you know? Yeah, it's personal. Yeah, it's very personal, even though it's not supposed to be. And at that standpoint... But it's also double-edged. I think that people can relate to that because, after all, I want people to be able to see what I'm going through and know that you can do it just if you want to. Just put your mind to it. Anything is possible. It's 
life itself is a not a game. Life is a journey. And in order to take another step in the journey, you're gotta be willing to take that step. You can't just stand on the same point and lie on your deathbed and say, well, I could have done that if I really wanted to, and I really wanted to, but I didn't. Sure. And you, same with, you can't blame others for your own, I wouldn't say stupidity, but you know. Lack you of don't progress. Step, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if you don't progress as a human being, and it's because of someone else, well, change the situation. Change something up. Take a risk, you know. If, if you're sitting at home and you are not getting anywhere with, for example, um, beat making, I know some producers are doing that, and you're sending it to another producer and that producer isn't doing their job, go find another producer, even yeah. though he's your best friend. Just yeah. make a change. You are the change in your life. You're the catalyst for change. So in order to stay motivated and inspired, I try to be that catalyst for people who can't have that catalyst in themselves. I'm glad you and said it that way. That, yeah, I'm glad you- Awaken that you know, feeling in them. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said it that way because that's kind of a mantra that I've always had, which is you are the change. You are the catalyst. And there's going to be tons of people in the world who either are going to hold you back intentionally or unintentionally. But it's up to you to take those steps when you're ready and, and make those things happen for yourself. And you are a prime example of that for sure. So thank you. <laughs> that warms my heart. That made my day. Thank no, you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. I, I think your concept is awesome. I'm intrigued by you personally and uh, what you've accomplished and I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys have coming down the road. So why don't you tell us out here in the world, in the U S and the UK and wherever y'all are, where can we find snow IU so we can check out your merch and check out your music. Oh wow, we have such a lot of places where we're at currently. I feel I'm always gonna bring I'm always gonna bring up my list of links, you know. But our main page that you can find Snow IU on is Facebook, where we're constantly growing, and wow, it's been skyrocketing lately. I and say. also, I gotta say that you guys are very interactive with your fans, and not that I social media stalked you, but maybe I social media stalked <laughs> you, maybe just a little bit to check it out. And and minute. yeah, you guys, you interact with everybody, you respond to the fans. I, I love the fact that people are, you know, taking pictures with the Snow IU shirts on, and you're all calling them out by their names. And I love that you're sending out, you know, packages, and it's just it's really cool. So find them on Facebook. Where else? We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, we're on Bandcamp, actually, pretty recently. Two days ago, we've added a Bandcamp account where you can find some merchandise and download our songs if you feel like that. Uh, Rocknet has one of our merchandise shirts, which is exclusive to Rocknet. So uh, if you want the Pirates Night exclusive shirt, you got to head on to Rocknet and purchase it from there because it's a unique design by a guy named Cody McCauley, I think. Is going by the name Modified Rabbit on Facebook, who painted the artwork for that one, and it's a killer artwork. Yeah, awesome. Um, and we're also on a diff- couple of other pages, like Imperative Music, of course. Sure. And uh, the Metal Archives, I think. Yeah, Metal Archives as well. So we're a little bit all over the place on the internet. Just search Snow IU and go Google and you'll find us on Facebook immediately. I promise if you type in Snow IU in a search engine somewhere, you will get this band. Stock them on all the social media sites. <laughs> Check out their pages. Buy their merch. Buy Lost in the Forest physical format to get the 12-minute 
epic song of a lifetime. And uh, Cynthia, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This has been awesome. And uh, I wish you all the best luck in the future. And I'll be keeping my eyes and ears peeled for what you all got coming down the pike. So, Thank you for having me, Mike. It's been a pleasure having, having this time to talk with you, really. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. An absolutely epic conversation, to say the least. And you know, no matter where you stand socially or politically or philosophically or religiously, the one thing we all have in common is that it is truly difficult for all of us in this age to dare to be different and to take those risks. So I encourage you to do so. Be the catalyst, be the change, keep an open mind. And as Rufus said in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, be excellent to each other. Now check out the song called Inner Fury from Snow I.U.